Hello and welcome to the Brutal Iron Gym Podcast, where our goal is to cut through the BS and deliver the brutal truth about topics related to health and happiness. Today's podcast number 1858. The topic is nutrition and the title is Random Nutrition Q&A. I'm helping a friend of mine I knew, I've known for a long time. They work at a big uh, corporation and we're working on some nutrition education material. One of the things they did before they reached out to me was they've been working on this a little bit themselves and they had employees submit general questions. They, My friend wanted to get an idea of what people wanted to know. Overwhelmingly, it was everything we would expect is a lot of fat loss questions, a lot of questions about diets. And then there were some questions about uh, exercise performance and you know how to maximize results and outcomes in training. I wanted to do for today, just for fun, to read through some of the questions that were asked and then just talk about the answers. I thought it would just be a fun, random uh, podcast. Okay, so here we go. Uh, One question. What is the best diet for health and longevity? They've done a lot of studies. Uh, You may have heard about the Mediterranean diet. There's a lot of diets that are uh, like vegan, vegetarian-style diets that are paired with longevity in general, uh, it's just going to be any any diet that controls your calories, so you don't have excessive caloric intake. You don't want you know a huge deficit to where it causes stress in the body over over time. So you want a caloric control. Usually, most diets associated with longevity have about twenty ish percent of protein uh, in the total calorie count. Uh, the 20% of protein, 20% of the calories is being provided by protein. So it's typically going to be a lower protein than what you would hear me recommend. And this would be, again, because longevity studies are are focused exactly on that. They're not focused on how you feel, not focused on how you look. They often don't involve people who exercise, especially not weight train. So a lot of the health and longevity studies are for diets that wouldn't match what you want to also do. <laughs> so we want to live a long time, but maybe we want to be able to bench press 315. We want to live a long time, but we want to have you know full glute muscles, uh, six-pack abs. We want to look good on the beach. There might be some other components that we want where longevity studies look at diet structures that essentially they just say, where do people live to be the oldest and then what do they eat in those areas? That's essentially how kind of the crux, like the, the, the base of longevity studies are done. And then they'll also look at, okay, this element uh, in someone's diet or not in their diet, how does that correlate to length of life? So they'll look at individual elements. But if you look at the areas around the globe in which people live the longest and have the lowest um like health issues, there tends to be commonalities in the way that they eat. It's going to be uh, caloric controlled, lower protein, but still sufficient protein. They're going to be very limited in sugars, saturated in trans fats, sodium, alcohol. There's not really going to be a high prevalence of any of that. Um, It can include meat, but typically there's not a lot of meat. It's going to be more focused around uh, like fish and lean meats, not really high fat content meats. And in those studies, some of the studies they've compared a grazing style dieting 
uh, or eating versus a fasting style eating. So they'll have people who eat small meals all day versus people who wake up and they don't eat for the first, say, six hours of being awake, and then they eat their food. And they haven't found really any any deviation or difference there. There are successful uh, studies or kind of um, people who live a long time eating either way. It doesn't seem to have an indication one way or the other that one is necessary. They can find that both can work. Again, if calories are controlled, protein is present but not overly consumed, and then very low sugar, saturated trans fats, sodium, alcohol. So the idea of a health and longevity diet, you you want to say, okay, I want that, but also what else do I want? You know, do I want to feel good when I work out in the gym? Do I want to work on strength? Do I want to improve my cardiovascular fitness? So maybe I need to eat more total calories on my training days so I can have enough energy to exercise. But yet that's above my baseline physiological needs. So that technically doesn't fit into the longevity style of of eating. So really that would be what I would recommend people look for is just have controlled calories. Make sure you have protein in your diet. And then limit sugar, saturated trans fats, sodium, and alcohol. Next question. Can you have too much protein? I thought this was interesting because usually people struggle with not having enough protein. But this was a question that was included. Uh, And technically, there is an upper limit for protein, for sure. There is an amount that your body can use depending on how much muscle tissue you have, how active you are, whether you weight train or do muscle damaging you know, exercise. So it's going to be a different amount per person. But there is an amount of protein that your body would be able to use. And then anything above that is just going to put extra strain on the body as it would try to process that. Now, how much is that? Uh, I've seen one study, they, they did uh, had participants consume 400 grams of protein a day for 30 days, and it showed no long-term permanent significant impact on health. And that is really hard to do. If you ever try to eat 400 grams of protein a day, I've done it, and I actually did do it for 30 days because <laughs> I wanted to see what it felt like and how challenging it was. It's really freaking hard. It is very hard to eat 400 grams of protein a day. I remember I did one diet where I was eating two and a half pounds of chicken a day, plus having some protein powders, trying to throw in like eggs and some other other uh, protein sources, and still was struggling so hard to get uh, that much protein. So it's very, very, very unlikely that a person would be able to sustain a damagingly high intake level for a long enough time that it would actually be an issue. So for most people, they're not going to overconsume protein unless they're taking protein powders and over supplementing with that. But if you're trying to do it through whole food, uh, you're probably never going to overeat your protein through whole food. Next question, is a ketogenic diet the only way to lose body fat? No, absolutely not. Uh, It is a way, (laughs) but it's not the only way. Any diet structure that maintains a small caloric deficit consistently over time will help create fat loss. Doesn't mean you have to do the caloric deficit every day. But maybe you have some days you do maintenance, some days you do a deficit, and then collectively over time, that's a deficit. You can structure it a lot of different ways. But the idea of a ketogenic diet is for some people, just saying no to carbs is is very clear cut to them. And they would feel as though that makes sense and it's easy to understand, it's easy to do. Uh, So 
what I would typically recommend is that somebody just finds any dietary structure that allows for consistency of a caloric deficit over time and anything that fits your preferences. So that way you can be consistent with it. So whether it's high fat, low fat, high carb, low carb, they've shown that any style, any style of diet playing around with caloric deficit, however you structure that, if you're consistent, it will create weight loss. Now, how you feel under every different diet is, is different, but if you're just looking at losing body fat, any diet structure that creates a caloric deficit consistently over time will cause fat loss. So, is a ketogenic diet the only way to lose body fat? No. Next question is, what are some of the biggest nutrition myths that people believe? Ooh, I stayed with only three answers, because <laughs> uh, I could go all day on this one. But one thing I hear is that people believe there's only one approach to fat loss and they just haven't found it yet. So, they'll say, yeah, I've tried this and that didn't work. I tried this and that didn't work. I tried this and that didn't work. And what they, what they, what I would love for them to be thinking is, I haven't found the diet structure that works correctly for me and my preferences. But what I feel like they're saying is, I haven't found a diet that works. And it's like, eh, I don't like the wording of that because it's not like there's only one diet that works. It's actually just finding the diet style that works for you now. And then that changes with seasons of life. Maybe somebody is single. And in college, they could eat a certain way. Then all of a sudden, they get into a relationship. They start, you know, working 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Your nutrition preferences, style, schedule, uh, economics, all that stuff is going to change. So maybe the way in which you eat to maintain a healthy uh, body and healthy activity, you know, feeling good, looking good, that might need to change in different seasons of life. So there absolutely is not only one correct approach to dieting. Another myth is that there are like foods that are bad for you. It's true that like really high amounts of sugars is probably not a good idea. Really high fat, like saturated fats, like a lot of fried foods, probably not a good idea. But there aren't foods that are going to like ruin everything. If you go out and you have fried chicken wings on a Friday night, but you eat really healthy otherwise, you're going to be fine. <laughs> You'll be okay. Um, and then also I hear people you know, oh, you shouldn't eat bread or you shouldn't eat pasta. That's absolutely stupid uh, in the sense that there would be no, like, oh, I, I shouldn't have said that it's stupid. I feel like I understand why people think it to some degree. But the challenging part is, is there's, there's really not a large amount of evidence that would prove that bread is bad for you or that bagels are bad for you or that pasta is bad for you. If somebody were to say, I just ate, I, I stopped eating as much bread and I lost weight. Yeah, you reduced your calorie intake and you lost weight. But you could have also done that by taking any other food item that you ate on a consistent basis and reducing it. So let's say I'm just making up something. Somebody has like eggs and French toast for breakfast every day. And they say, you know what, I'm going to cut out the French toast, but I'm still going to have the eggs. So they have a caloric reduction. They're going to lose weight. But if they were to get rid of the eggs, so maybe they have three eggs, 210 calories a day in eggs, and they kept the French toast, they would still lose weight. 
So it's not that they cut out the bread, it's just that they caused a caloric reduction. And then people associate that positive change of weight change with the food they cut out. So therefore, you know, if I reduced bread and I lost weight, then bread is why I was having excess weight, so therefore bread is bad for me. That's not true. That's a false, you know, analogy or false correlation. It, it just, you took some calories away consistently that caused some weight loss and then that's why so there aren't certain foods that are bad for you it is true that you don't want to consume a lot of sugar it is true you don't want to consume a lot of saturated fat but it's not like there's single foods that are bad for us such as carbs or other certain like fats like like if you want to have some wings if you want to have birthday cake you know on a birthday all that stuff is fine. If you want to drink a little bit of alcohol once a month, not going to set you back. Uh, so it's okay to have foods you enjoy. What we're really looking for is just ways to control calories so that way we're not in a caloric surplus or we're not having big swings in our calories of huge deficits, huge surpluses, and that inconsistency would then be causing us to gain body fat. A third thing is that, unfortunately, the myth that I see perpetuated is people give advice in nutrition. And usually the people who give advice, it it's wild to me that in certain fields, I feel as though, like, if you have a plumbing question... Not many people do plumbing. Not many people are educated in plumbing. So you're not going to get a lot of advice. Or when they do give advice, they don't want to mess you up. So they're going to say, well, I don't know your situation, but this did work for me. This is what I did. When it comes to nutrition, good God, everyone thinks they know. And it is frustrating being someone who is educated in the field and then hearing people give advice that is just blatantly wrong. Just 100% factually wrong but yet people want to give the advice because they want to feel a sense of helping other people and in their mind they believe they're right so they think they're telling this person something good but really people should not be giving advice unless they have a formal education on the subject matter and or they've worked with a lot of people in a lot of various situations and environments and circumstances so I I find it very frustrating to hear people give nutrition advice when they have absolutely no formal knowledge. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you probably know a lot, and I hope that you do give advice. But I always try to give advice in context. So I ask people questions before I give advice. So if someone's like, hey, what's a good way for me to lose some weight? I never answer with a way for them to lose weight. I answer with a question. I say, well, what do you eat now? Or, well, when you say lose weight, do you want to, like, actually weigh less or you just want to look better? Like, do you have a good weight, but you just like to have more muscle and less fat? Because that's a different answer. And then also, learning how they've been eating up until that question is very helpful. Maybe they're coming from a history of under-eating and eating disorders. I don't want to give them something that's going to make that worse. Maybe they've just been highly inconsistent in their eating. They overeat here or there. They severely undereat here or there. I don't want to give them advice that just assumes they're chronically overeating. 
So learning more about the individual is definitely a requirement to give good advice. So that's what I'd recommend is if you're going to give advice to somebody, ask questions first and get to know them a little bit more, understand their situation, and then give the advice that's relevant to them. But it is sad that a lot of people feel comfortable giving advice, uh, even though they don't know what they're talking about, and they then confuse and hurt the person that they're giving the advice to. Next question is, is the BMI a correct marker for health? Should I aim to weigh within a healthy range on the BMI scale? BMI is the body mass index. It's basically an average of how much people weigh who are your height. So I'm six foot tall. If you look at the BMI scale, it tells you that, you know, an average good weight is X. And then it tells you if you're underweight or overweight from there. So I'm in like the morbidly obese category because I weigh 285 pounds at six foot tall. But I have a lot of muscle mass. But the BMI scale doesn't care about that. <laughs> it doesn't equate body fat percentage. So the BMI scale is not really a good direct indicator of health. If you really want to know a good marker for health, you'll get blood work done. Uh, if you get blood work done every 6 to 12 months or more often if you can, but just knowing you know what your blood markers are at uh, and the overall state of your internal functions, <laughs> that would be a good way to know of health. And then also just how do you feel? You know, how do you feel when you move around throughout the day? How, what's your mobility like? Are you happy when you look in the mirror? That could be mental and emotional health. So it's not only physical health that we'd want to look at, but it's also mental and emotional health as well. So a marker for health would be blood work and how I feel. That's going to be way more helpful than a BMI scale. We have two more questions. Second to last question is, is intermittent fasting a good diet? Or is it just people who skip breakfast wanting to do so without feeling guilty? Parentheses, kind of joking, but also kind of want to know. <laughs> Love that question. So intermittent fasting is a caloric-controlled diet structure. That's it. So it's just a way to control your calories. Uh, the way in which you set that up typically does involve macronutrient awareness, meaning you still want to maintain a proper amount of protein. Uh, and that's basically what it's meant to do is control calories, Make sure you keep your macronutrients in balance, but do that in a schedule-wise, convenient way. So people will add elements of extra importance to it, believing that it decreases digestive tract inflammation, uh, decreased glucose sensitivity, helps control cravings. And those might be individualistically true. Um, but in general, intermittent fasting is just a way to control calories. So it, it does like work, quote unquote, uh, whether it's a good diet, that just depends on the individual. There's a million ways to control calories and make sure you get enough protein. So you don't have to do intermittent fasting as a way to do it if you don't want to do it that way. But if you do want to do it that way and you do want to skip breakfast, then it would work. Uh, it's not a thing I'm a fan of. Uh, it just doesn't match the, the way you'll feel best or perform best. So there's a huge difference between diets that are appropriate and they quote-unquote work for body weight control versus diets that maximize fat loss versus diets that do either of those while still feeling and looking good. Huge differences. So there are diets, there's a lot more diets that work to control body weight than there are diets that actually lose 
maximal body fat versus muscle tissue and water loss. And then there's even fewer diets that do that while feeling good throughout the day. So it is uh, challenging a little bit to find the structure that works for you, but the benefit is that there are so many options that you can really find a nice personalized approach uh, as you kind of tweak the elements, and that's what I help clients do. Last question, nutrition fact labels have so much detail on them, they capitalized so. (laughs) Uh, What do I really need to know? Calories, protein, and then which of the energy nutrients provides the majority of the calories, carbs, or fats? So you want to know how many calories is in what you're eating. So it's helpful to know like the portion size. So it says like how many portions are in the container uh, or what can what contributes to a, a, a serving. So you want to know serving size, portion size, and that way it'll help you understand the calories and protein that you're eating. So total calories, total protein, and then seeing which energy nutrient provides the dominant source of energy, whether it's dominantly carbs or dominantly fats, it's helpful because it helps you understand when's the best time to eat that food. You want to match the digestion rate of the food to your energy demand. So if I'm highly active right now, I don't want to eat something that's really high in fats because I'm not going to get a lot of energy from that because it takes a while for that to digest and process. Uh, Likewise, if I'm sitting around not doing anything, I don't want to eat, I probably don't want to eat something that's really super high in carbohydrates because that's going to get digested quickly, available in my bloodstream quickly, but then all of a sudden I'm going to be left with a deficit again quickly. So it's helpful to know, is this predominantly fats or carbs? And then which should I have at this moment uh, based on what I'm doing at this moment? So that's what we want to know from nutrition fact labels is how many calories is in what I'm eating, how much protein is in what I'm eating, and then is this mostly carbs or mostly fats so that way I know when to eat it. Cool. Well, those are the questions I figured I'd share. There was a lot more, and I'm going to put that together for that company, but I thought that was fun just to share some random Q&A. If you ever want to submit some Q&A, you're welcome to do so. The email for the podcast is brutalironjim at gmail.com. Send me some questions and maybe I'll collect them and put together another podcast like this if you find it fun. Just let me know what you want to know (laughs) and then I'll make a podcast for you. Again, you can always email me at brutalironjim at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please share the podcast. If you like the podcast, please consider donating to support the podcast, which you can do on our website. Also, if you like the information we share in the podcast, you can find more from us on our social media channels. You can find us and follow us on Instagram and YouTube under the name Brutal Iron Gym. As always, I hope this was helpful, and thank you for listening.